All right, leadership, part seven of seven. We started this back on September the 8th, and we were interrupted twice in this series by David Bennett, who came from Oxford and talked to us in September. And then again, last week with the band uh, uh, unveiling their four um, original songs and, and um, Nathan talking. So it's a little bit of a scattershot series, but I can't not tell you how Nehemiah's story ends, all right? How this mission to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem comes to completion. I'll get there, but I'm, in, I'm gonna get there last, all right? So we're not gonna talk about Nehemiah for a little while. I wanna make sure I'm clear about why this conversation matters. And you've heard me say, Leadership is not a position. Leadership is influence, right? I've said that ad nauseum. And I've said that you'll be surprised by the places and relationships where you have influence, right? I want you to hear that. I want you, um, we, we all know that parents lead children, but children and young people, you also have influence with your parents, right? There's something at stake there too. And you can use that influence in good or bad ways, and parents can use our influence in good or bad ways. And I'm, I'm day-to-day on that. Like, it's, uh, it's not always good. I'm trying to get better. Children, young people, students, you have influence over your parents. Now, don't go home and start throwing your weight around and be like, I'm in charge now, Pastor Eric said I am. Like, that's not it. What, what it means is you can lead your parents to go crazy or you can lead your parents to grow in their adulthood to inspire them to grow, even in adulthood. Like you have that power. God gave you that power. So what are you doing with it? We all have this kind of influence. And so the the question really becomes, how are we wielding it? I I look at leadership the same way I look at discipleship. You know, we talk about making disciples of Jesus Christ. Like to me, secular leadership is the same thing as Christian discipleship. So the, the, all, the, all the ins and outs of it, all the ways we explain it, it's all the same. It's a process. There's a growth track. It's sort of a roadmap. And you're always growing as a leader in the world, but also as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the more you fall in love with Jesus, the longer you follow him, hopefully the more your leadership style reflects the heart of Christ. And so... When we talk about leadership, it's not just because we want a greater impact. We do want that, but it's not just that. It's because we're here to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus are what? Disciples. Disciples of Christ are always leading. He is always putting you in a position to use your influence for good or for bad. And I hope by the end of this sermon to give you some idea of where you are right now on that roadmap. Because I fear that if I don't give you this, some of y'all, you just, you're not going to know where you're supposed to be going. Because you don't really have perspective yet about where you are in your leadership, in your sphere of influence, with your kids, your family, your friends group, your church, maybe your small group, or even at work. Listen. You don't have to be the CEO at work to be a leader. Just like a child can lead a parent, you can lead at work way down on the bottom of the totem pole because leadership is influence and you get to decide how you're going to use that influence. I like to, um, I like to sort of map things out a little bit. It helps me wrap my head around um, otherwise, uh, you know, 
otherwise abstract issues. And so I think about leadership in uh, five sort of um, levels. And this is nothing new. Like every leadership book you've ever read is going to have the five levels of leadership in it. And it's going to sound very monotonous. But this is sort of my take on the five levels of leadership. And I share this because I want you to think about where you're at right now and how you are leading the people in your sphere of influence. All right? So on the first level of leadership, there's a good idea. Some people, the level one leaders, all they have is an idea. And there are people who stay at level one for years and drive everyone else crazy. Because if you just stay at level one and I'll always talk about what, what should be done and how things ought to be, but you never do anything about it, what are you? You're a hypocrite, right? So level one leaders, you need to move quick. Otherwise, people are going to start seeing through you. All you have is an idea and you lead with that idea. But if you move Along the pathway, you, you go from just leading with an idea to leading with action, and you start to actually put your time and your money where your mouth is, and you start to, to lead with your work. Eventually, that kind of, uh, if you follow Jesus along that path, I think what happens is he surrounds you with people, and, and you start leading followers of you, of yours, right? And then that hopefully will give way to a, a breaking point in your ministry, a turning point, I should say, where your followers become leaders and the people they're leading are followers, right? So and the, the holy grail of leadership, the desired endpoint, the destination that we're going for in this whole series and in our lives is this level five idea of leading leaders who lead leaders. And it's not as glorious as it sounds, what level five leadership means is you don't care how success makes you look. You don't care who gets the credit. You don't care about the spotlight. Your ego is completely out of the picture. And you celebrate the success of other people way more than your own success. Right? So this is a serious growth track for a lot of us. Very few of us are at this level, um, myself included. I'm working at it, but man, it is, it, it is not easy. To illustrate this kind of uh, pathway, I thought I would just share with you uh, sort of a case study. So let's say there's a, a man who goes to church at the story, and let's say he's got, um, let's say he's married, he's got a wife, he's got kids, right? And Let's say uh, he becomes a Christian, he's, he's in with Jesus, and suddenly he's starting to use words like should and ought. Like, that's not the way it ought to be. Somebody should do something, right? So he's getting a sense that God has a better plan for the world than the way the world is today. That's level one, leading with ideas. He's telling his kids, like, that's just not right. Somebody ought to do something. And they're like, yeah, dad. You know, and eventually... Because he's got people leading him and because he's learning about Jesus, that will grow from just an idea into an action. So let's say, for example, one of those men and maybe in the church that's leading him, they call him and say, hey, it's Wednesday. I don't know if you heard, we're going to be at church under the bridge tonight. Uh, I know you're probably, you know, on your back porch just uh, relaxing or watching the game. I want you to get in your car, drive downtown, meet me at church under the bridge. We're going we're gonna to do this together. And he goes. And let's say he has communion with these um, brothers and sisters who live on the streets of Houston. Let's say he worships alongside of them. He gets to know some of them. He serves them a meal. And in doing the work of the kingdom, his heart is changed. And that is a universal experience. A lot of times we strategically 
will put some of y'all in positions to experience the kingdom of God for yourself long before you've really made the decision to be a Christian. Like, we'll make you serve communion. Remember those, like, when we used to do communion around the room? And you're like, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, here, take the body of Christ. You know, and you go give it to people. You know, and you're like, all right. But the act of giving it to people, it changes you. It's a heart change, right? So this guy's heart is changed, and he goes home that night a different man, and he's beaming a little bit, and he's like, you guys wouldn't believe, with his wife and kids, you wouldn't believe what happened at Church Under the Bridge. And me and, you know, this homeless guy, we're friends now. I can't wait to see him the next time I go out there. And he keeps going back. He has reached level two status, right? But he can't stay there. And so imagine uh, one Wednesday afternoon, he says to his wife, like, maybe y'all ought to come with me this week. And she reluctantly agrees. She maybe had some plans or whatever. She wanted to do her thing. But, uh, but she's, okay, we got to go see what, what daddy's up to. Get dressed, kids. And, and so they go. And they experience it too, but in a secondhand way. It's still his thing, right? So they experience it, and he's glad to have them there. But it's kind of like he's glad to invite them into his thing, Right? And so they're affected, but not as much as, as he was. They're pretty much watching dad, this new version of dad, uh, you know, do his thing. And they, they serve the meal and, and they get to know people or whatever, but it's not as impactful. But these people that are discipling him, they keep, they keep working on him, right? So they meet for breakfast and they go, look, there's another step in this process here. You need to include them. The people you're leading in the work of church under the bridge, let's say, right? So the next time he goes, a few days before the Wednesday night, he's like talking to his kids and he's like, you know, we're going back this Wednesday night and maybe he gets down on their level and maybe he says, um, you know, we're shorthanded this Wednesday. Um, and that doesn't have to be true. It's a white lie for the kingdom of God. And <laughs> it's, uh, we're shorthanded on Wednesday. We're going to need your help. We're going to need you to step up, kids. And let's say he's got a daughter and a son, and the daughter's older, and she likes to sing, and she likes to be in front of people, and she, she draws people to her. It's so easy for her. And so let's say he says to her, you know, we do worship. We need to do it better, and you can help us. Like, get some of your friends at church, or maybe call your friends from school and say, we're going to church under the bridge. We'll come pick you up and come sing with me. And then you get to church on the bridge, you can find more people, maybe some folks that live on the street to come and lead singing with you. And by the time Wednesday night comes, she's built like this big gospel choir of her own that she's responsible for, and it's hers. It's no longer dad's thing. It's her thing. And let's say his son is younger and doesn't like to be in front of people, but let's say he likes sports, and he says, son, we've been having a lot of kids show up at church under the bridge lately, and we don't know what to do with them. Can you help? Maybe you could bring your kickball. And the son's eyes go... I need you to organize a kickball game with these kids that come to church under the bridge. I'm on it, dad. You know, like that kind of thing. And then he shows up and he has the time of his life organizing something that's his, right? Now, that father has, again, leveled up. He is now leading leaders who have followers, right? So if he stays the course and he keeps drawing closer to Jesus and keeps being discipled by the people here at the story or whoever's leading him, what will inevitably happen is he will come to a, a really a fork in the road where he has to decide, do I want to remain at the center of this or do I want to be unnecessary to the operation? And this is a real question. This is why most of us never reach level five because we like being necessary. We like feeling needed, wanted, 
important, right? And so the idea of being unnecessary and obsolete, that's a threat to our ego. But if he takes the other, the other path and he allows the operation and he allows his leaders to lead on their own and to raise up leaders of their own to the point that it doesn't matter if he even shows up. They're going to do what they're doing and they'll do it even better if he's not there which really hurts your pride. <clears throat> but that's part of the growth of a leader. Now that doesn't mean he never has to go back to church under the bridge. What it does mean is he gets to lead on a higher level than he had previously. He doesn't need to be in the weeds, right? He doesn't need to be doing it himself. And this, this kind of level five, you know, leaders leading leaders who lead leaders, this is... This is hard. Gio and I talk about this all the time uh, with our staff. How are we doing? How are we leading leaders who lead leaders? Because this is not just about impact. This is discipleship, remember? This is us working out our salvation. When you learn to lead leaders who lead leaders, you take your ego out of the equation and you lead like Jesus. Jesus didn't lead with a spotlight. He led with a water basin washing grimy feet. He led on the cross. He gave himself away. And to be like him is to know salvation. And so your soul's at stake in this, right? But it's tough. We tell, if you've been in our leadership cohort, some of you have, and you lead small groups and stuff like that, and we've told all of you that if you are, as a leader, doing the same job a year from now you're doing today, that is not reason for celebration. That's a failure. That's a failure. You should have handed some stuff off along the way. And if you can find people who can do what you're doing now, 50% as good as you can with some potential for coaching, you better do it. Let them do it because you're allowing them to experience the kingdom of God just like you did when you started out. Now, that's tough. The world looks at it differently. The world celebrates long-tenured leaders who do the same job. For many years, even the church celebrates it, y'all. I've seen churches have cake parties for some woman named Agnes who's had been the bookkeeper for the church for 94 years. And they're like, 94 years of holding the purse strings by herself. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea on every level. Like, Agnes needs accountability. For one thing, like, who knows if Agnes can be trusted anymore? She's it's 110 years old. Like, you don't, you don't, I mean, you need to hand off responsibility and how many others who came through the doors of that church were looking for a role or part to play and were not given it because every role was taken by stubborn, selfish leaders who weren't growing themselves, right? So when you learn to check your ego and let Jesus lead you through the levels of leadership, you find not only greater impact, you find more of the salvation he came to show you. The problem there is we're afraid of being obsolete. I wanted to give you a tool to think about and to, to recall whenever you're afraid of becoming obsolete. And a lot of parents lead this way, like, oh, I want my kids to need me, so I don't, I don't want them to learn too much. I don't want them to be too self-sufficient because I want them to need me. Like, that's toxic parenting. I'm sorry. Like, it is. And, and you want them to be leaders in their own right. 
So how do we get over this fear of becoming obsolete? There's this thing called, I've developed it called the leadership wheel. And there's a little blank in your study guides where you can draw it for yourself. This is a little silly, but I'm not a graphic artist, obviously. And uh, that's why I didn't provide it uh, in your study guides. I wanted you to be able to draw it. It looks a little like a pentagram now that I look at it. That's not good. All right, so. Okay, don't show it on the live stream. Okay, so. <laughs> I'll screenshot that, and I'm a new guy tomorrow. So anyway, uh, it starts with the vision. Cast the vision, right? That's the idea. So what is, the, what is the should? What is the ought, right? And then as we've talked about throughout this series, there are a series of steps that happen once you have the vision. There's strategy and reflection. There's, uh, you know, there's the work of the, of the mission. There's overcoming obstacles. And then there's raising up leaders. And that's kind of like the last step in this wheel. And every one of these steps is infused with prayer. Okay? So what happens when you raise up leaders and hand off the mission that you've been working on isn't that you retire. That's a linear way of thinking. That's like self-centered, old-school way of thinking that says if it stays the same and I have my role, then I always have a place in this world and I'm important. No. The, circle, the, the circular, cyclical wheel of leadership says that once leaders are in charge of what has been taking place, I get to lead on a new level now. I get to pray about a bigger vision where I'm going to lead these people next. There's something more. There's something bigger. This is like the story's second site decision, right? When we decided to multi-site and do more campuses. Yeah, we're going to do something bigger. We're going to do something new. And it's different. It's a little scary, but we'll get there. And you can only get there if you've got leaders leading what has been happening, right? So I've gotten some great advice over the past few months, this is, um, this is, for some of y'all who run big companies, like this is not a big deal to you, but to me, this, the story right now is the largest organization I've ever led. <clears throat> and I started to feel a little lost, and I would reach out to, like this one friend of mine who's, uh, he's, he leads a Fortune 500 company, and, and I'm just like, what do I do? I'm, I'm, I'm awful at this. <clears throat> I said, there's not enough hours in my day to lead this organization at this size. And he said, well, if that's the case, you're doing it wrong, Eric. He said, the larger your sphere of influence gets, the less of the work you should be doing. The more free time you should have. And I was like, to go like deep sea fishing and stuff? Can I borrow your yacht? I don't, I don't know what that means, <laughs> free time. I said, no, 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 it's for, it's for reflection, Eric. It's for prayer. You should be bored every week for a significant amount of time, bored enough to just sit there and do nothing but pray and reflect about what the bigger vision is going to be that you're going to lead your people toward next. And this, is, uh, this applies to any of us, regardless of your sphere of influence or where or who you are leading. All right. Okay, so I just spilled my coffee on my notes. This is going to be great. <clears throat> oh, well. Okay, so the coolest thing to me about looking at these five levels of leadership and about the leadership wheel is that they are all over the Bible, all over it. We get to see Jesus, for example, developing his leadership, right? So the leadership wheel is all over Jesus's ministry. He casts a vision. He does all this other stuff. He gets to work, overcomes obstacles, empowers leaders, and then he's praying the whole time, and then he casts a bigger vision. So the vision that he starts with is just, hey guys, come follow me. We'll fish for men. And they're like, what does that mean? Okay, let's go. And then three years later, He's telling them, you know, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, go and baptize and make disciples in all nations. Do you see how his vision 
developed. But he had to start smaller before he could get bigger. All right, and you also see the five levels of leadership in, in Jesus' life, by the way. Uh, it, you know, it starts with the idea, and Jesus sat on his idea for 30 years before acting on it. Yeah, I should, I should be the son of God. And then <laughs> 30 years in, he acts. And then he acts on a, as a solo act. He starts to preach before he calls any disciples. Matthew chapter 4, the latter part of Matthew 4, he's preaching without disciples. And then he calls disciples, and they're just his followers. He's leading followers. That's level three leadership. And then he starts to send them out to lead in their own right. That's what I want to show to you in Luke chapter 10, um, verses 1 to 3 to start with. We're going to see how he goes uh, from level three to level four. He's starting to send these disciples out to lead. All right? Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. These are his followers, but he appoints them now and sends them. They're not just following him anymore. He's sending them as leaders two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lamb among wolves. And so I'll stay here for a second. I just want to point something out. Before this, Jesus was the only voice in his movement. He got all the attention for himself. He got all the accolades. He was the only name anyone knew or cared about. Only person they really wanted to get to know. Everyone else was superfluous. He was the only preacher. Here, he's sending 72 other preachers out to preach the stuff they've been hearing from him. He's sending them out to 36 places that he could have gone himself eventually and gotten the accolades for himself. And I'm guessing he's a better preacher than them. Just a guess. He's probably the best preacher of the lot by far. But he lets them do it, even though they're going to misspeak, even though they're going to mess up, even though they're not always going to get it right. It's okay. Go do it, come back, I'll coach you, we'll get it. That's leadership, right? And that's the power of it. Now he's got 72 preachers who can go and do the work that he's begun in them. Let's go to the next part of this passage. This is, we're gonna see now a step up, a leveling up from four to five. And I want you to see and hear how Jesus does this. Listen to Jesus's voice. Hear Jesus's voice and not just mine. The 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, now, before we get there, I just want you to know, these disciples are coming back and saying, Jesus, we did it without you. You weren't even there. And these demons were submitting to us in your name, but it was us leading And they're excited and they're joyous. And if Jesus had been anything other than a strong leader, if he had an insecure bone in his body right then, he would have shut it down. Well, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it went great. Yeah. You know, downplaying, discouraging. This is what Jesus said. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I don't know exactly what that means, except I think... You know, we actually believe Satan fell from heaven. And I think Jesus, because he stood outside of time for most of his whole, like, existence, right? 
I think he's like seeing everything at once. I think what he's saying is the movement of Christ, the gospel itself was one of the reasons for the downfall of evil, one of the reasons that evil met its match. And even though the timing in our linear, I'm going to confuse everybody. All right, so this is, this is some like interstellar stuff here. But I think, I think Jesus is saying, look, you guys have power over the devil himself. He says, I've given you authority. I gave you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you hear the encouragement in his voice? How he's building them up. He's adding to their confidence, not taking away from it. And some of us, if we're real honest, and be ready to be convicted for the rest of the sermon. If you're real honest, you pass up opportunities to encourage the people you're leading because you're too insecure. And you think they're gonna outgrow you or outgrow their need for you. And so you withhold encouragement because whoever led you did the same to you. And you're leading people in the same insecure way they led you. Don't fall into that trap. Lead them like Jesus leads. So let me continue. We'll come back to that. He says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, even though it wasn't his accomplishment in person, it was theirs. He was full of joy. Through the Holy Spirit, he prayed, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. He's talking about his, he's, he's praying, strangely, he's praying about the disciples in front of the disciples. And Nehemiah did the same thing, you remember? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Nehemiah prayed about his lead builders in front of his lead builders. It's a very important skill for a leader to develop because not only does, it's not about like making you look good. Oh, what a, what a man of God, what a woman of God. Like, no, that's not it. And it's not just about teaching them how to pray. What it really is is revealing your heart, a leader's heart, and showing them firsthand the stuff you talk to God about them. And when they lead, they'll do it too. And did you hear how he encourages them? Did you hear it? Like, these are just regular people. These are peasants and prostitutes. And Jesus says they are kings and prophets. They have been privy to something truly special and they've received it and he praises God for them. Wow. The kingdom advances. Jesus knew he had to go from just level four to level five, leading leaders who lead leaders because he wasn't gonna be around forever in person, in the flesh. He was going to have to raise up leaders who could do it in the aftermath. All right. For seven weeks, we've talked about Nehemiah. I'm not getting in deep with Nehemiah now. You're like, yeah, it's about lunchtime. So I'm just going to tell you how it ends. I want you to know how it ends. And the cool thing I think about Nehemiah is that he's the perfect case study in leadership. Y'all saw him develop from stage one to stage five, level one leadership to level five leadership over the last, really level four, we're about to talk about level five, over the last seven weeks. In Nehemiah chapters one to seven, we see a man in the fifth century BC 
who has a vision, a crazy idea to go and rebuild a wall because his city is in ruins and he cannot abide it any longer. Something ought to be done. I should do something. So he has the idea. And then he goes from Persia, where he's a cupbearer to the king. He goes to Jerusalem. He acts on the idea, level two. And then he recruits some builders. And he leads his followers, level three. And then, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, his followers became leaders of men themselves, level four. Today, we're going to see um, how Nehemiah grew into a full-fledged, Level five, leader who leads leaders. This is from Nehemiah chapter seven, verses, I'm sorry, chapter six is the first passage. This is just one verse. I wanted you to see this. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. 52 days. It's a pretty impressive feat when you consider the breadth of this project. It was um, a wall that was nine to 10 feet wide. We have a picture. There it is. This is an actual picture of the Nehemiah wall that is uncovered. If you're going to the Holy Land with me in January, you'll see it maybe, probably. And um, nine feet wide all the way around the city and they built it in 52 days, all right? And it's because of Nehemiah's willingness to let go of power and authority, all right? So here we go. Uh, this is Nehemiah chapter seven, verses one and two. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites, so gatekeepers are protectors of the city, musicians are the prophets that speak truth through their art, their music, to the city, and the Levites are priests. They take care of the people. Nehemiah is appointing all these people because he knows they're needed. Protectors, prophets, and priests. And then he's put in charge of Jerusalem. He says, my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity. And this is my favorite line. And feared God more than most people do. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a ringing endorsement. But you're not looking for perfection when handing off authority and, and responsibility, are you? You're just looking for a willing heart, 50% with potential for growth. He feared God more than most people do, I guess. And so now he's in charge of a whole city. All right, so it's a beautiful, a beautiful um, example. Okay, um, I think what holds us back in our leadership development and in our discipleship is our ego. Parents, business leaders, workers, students, we're afraid afraid of letting go, afraid of not being needed or being obsolete. <clears throat> Listen, when you follow Jesus long enough, you start to learn to look at authority the way that he did. For Jesus, authority was not something you lord over people. Men, listen, women, like everyone here, listen, like, we think of authority as something you lord over people. I've got authority over these people, and that's how the world looks at it. And if you want to lead a, have a rebellion led against your authority, like lord it over someone, lord it over your kids, limit their growth potential because you're insecure. 
For Jesus, authority isn't top-down. It's not a capstone. Authority isn't from just above. His authority was behind his disciples. It was beneath his disciples. It was for his disciples. He was always cheering them on. Their victories were his, right? And so what that means is that whether or not he's by their side, they're doing the work of the kingdom. They're experiencing the salvation that he came to bring them. They're sharing it with the whole world, whether or not he's right there beside them. And let me ask you a question when you consider the people you're leading. Most of you probably love the people that you're leading. Maybe it's your small group, your family, your friends. You probably deeply care for them. What is your desire for them? Do you want them to be dependent on you forever? You're not going to be around forever. What is your hope for their character formation, for their salvation? Do you want them to only know how to pray or when to pray whenever you're around? Or better yet, do you want them to pray whether you're there or not? Even better, do you want them to lead other people to lead in prayer? Whenever you're not there, do you see the difference? that leadership makes. That's what happens when Jesus becomes your all. He frees you from the prison of needing the affirmation of others. That's part of your salvation, being liberated from the slavery of needing to be needed and wanting to be wanted and needing attention in the spotlight. No, no, no. No, 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 let's get on our knees and wash some feet. Let's take up our cross and follow Jesus. Let's step out of the spotlight and let others in so that they can experience the saving grace of God, the kingdom of Christ, the same way we did when our lives changed. Parents, teachers, students, small group leaders, spouses, Husbands and wives, friends, heed the call to lead like Jesus led. And to lead like Jesus led because there's something huge at stake. Show Jesus to those you're leading. Let his influence become yours. Let's pray. God, this is, uh, when we really think about this, uh, this is not as easy as it sounds because some of us feel so deeply convicted when we think about how we've led the people you put in front of us and how we've messed up, how many times we've missed the mark. Lord, it is convicting. God, it's easy to get down on ourselves. It's really easy to think it's too late. We messed up and just feel shame. Lord, I pray right now, right now that your Holy Spirit would move in this place, not only washing away old shame, but waking us up to some new reality that it's never too late to choose to lead differently. Lord, help us to move forward along the path you set before us and to lead others the way you led us, not just from above, lording authority over them, expecting just ultimate obedience with no relationship. Lord, help us to lead like you did, like you do. From our knees, with humility, 
with the saving message of the gospel and the kingdom of God first and foremost on our minds and on our lips and in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for this calling to lead, for the privilege of influence, and for those who we are influencing to know you more. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.